Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. You need Lori. Hey, Burl, you need Lori in here. <laughs> All right. Hey, hold on a second. Back to, back to one, ladies and gentlemen. And here we go. I'll, I'll hit you with the, uh, the more first. How's Roger doing, by the way? Okay, here we go. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. Following program is produced with an artistic sloppiness by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. Yeah, you know, it's never a good idea. To insult the producer? To insult the producer. Well, you know that as well. As yes. I know exactly well, where I was going. We're already suffering for it, Howard. Yeah. I am the legendary Burl Bear, taking time out of my busy schedule, admiring myself in the mirror and combing my hair. To host True Crime Uncensored on Outlaw Radio, the man right there, that's Howard Lapidus, yeah. manager to the star. Yeah, yeah. One star. What do, you, what do you mean by, by what you just What said? mean ye by this service? Yeah, no. <laughs> taking time out of As your... As he says ye and not we, he excludes time, himself. Yeah, taking time out of your busy schedule. Had he been there, he would have not have been found worthy of being redeemed. Uh, wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, how about that, huh? That's an hour of Shakespeare. That wasn't Shakespeare. That was the Passover service. I know that. <laughs> That's why I suggested we do Shakespeare. Uh, we have a Shakespearean actor with us today. No, it's not Frank J. Hagen. It's not Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker. He knows more about your life, Ian, than you do. He even corrected P.F. Sloan on his song lyrics. Which just goes to show he did do that. He did do that. And then yes, P.F. Yeah, Sloan dropped dead, dead shortly after. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's all Mark's fault. I should be so really sure. uh, We do have. you got a haircut, Frank. They can't see that on the radio. It was a waste of money. Uh, Ian Ogilvy, welcome back to True back Crime here. Uncensored, which is probably the reason for the name of the program. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, he's got a great voice. He ought to be in radio. He's doing much better than that. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen it. As, well, I saw one of his latest films, but I want to ask you about some of your other films from okay. ancient past. Yeah. Although we do want to hype, the still, we still steal the old way. We still kill the old way. If we get over the flu the old way, we hope you're better now. I am. Thank you very much. If I go into a paroxysm of coughing, it's because you're all smoking cigars, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll try not to. Well, I'll stop smoking. No, yeah. no, no. I want you to keep going. <laughs> With it'll, punishment. It'll toughen me up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an effete Englishman. I mean, we need toughening up. That's right. Although I always wondered if... Uh, <laughs> What, uh, Mandy Rice Davies and Christine Keeler, remember them? Yes, Not I personally, know. I mean, but you remember the story. Oh, my God. I, yes, I was, a, I was a big boy. I was a grown-up when all that was going on. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Did you ever meet them? 
I think I saw Christine Keeler cross the floor of a nightclub once, but that's about it. I can't say I ever shook her hand. No, <laughs> no I'm or anything, or anything else, else you know, for that yeah. matter. Why don't you remind the audience of that? Oh, that skin? who Christine Keeler is? Yes, of course. Uh, she was a hookerette. But no, no, no. <laughs> she was a very, very high-class hookerette, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who, who hookerette up with you know, politicians and supposedly Russian spies and uh, she was a she was a beautiful was, yeah. girl and she had a very uh, sad life after that oh yeah she's got the Forrest Gump of prostitution what, if it was ser- important ser- she was there I, I was around for that part of it but then when you say sad life after that what what happened to her well it's kind of difficult to go anywhere when you've been this girl you know the same with Mandy Rice Davis the other girl mm-hmm. what do you do uh, you know nowadays of course they make a reality show about her if yeah, not, and Howard would make a lot of money off of yeah. it. Oh, Howard, yeah. speaking of which, tell Ian what you said when you met Bill Clinton's uh, uh, squeeze. Uh, what was her name? Oh, Monica. Oh, Monica. Monica Lewinsky. It's yeah. not that good anymore. It used to be good. <laughs> I know, but I knew I was going to meet her. I right. knew that, you know, in a couple hours she'd be coming to our studio and I'd, I'd meet her. I'm thinking, what the hell do I say Hello. to Monica Lewinsky? Yeah. And all, all I said was, uh, hey, Monica, I've heard so much about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, yeah. <laughs> I bet she liked that. Uh, At least he didn't reach for his handkerchief to rub the we stain became, on her chest. Uh, we, we did become fast friends. <laughs> and then fast not friends anymore after that. You know, but uh, fast friends. <laughs> was it a short-lived romance or a bromance? No, 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 no. <laughs> there was none of that. You know what? To her credit, she was probably the first internet scandal. And An internet scandal. She managed to come out of it, and through bad times and even worse times, she's still working out there as an advocate for people that are veteran that, that are being. She's, she's doing quite well, actually. Yeah. And, and and you know, here's a woman that could have changed her name and gone off into the vapor, yeah, but didn't, and no. hung with it, and um, and still is out there and doing really good stuff. Now. Interesting thing I discovered about Monica Lewinsky's career is that when she did that show with Barbara Wawa, Barbara Walters, they kept focusing tightly on her mouth. (laughs) These big close-ups that she had this particular color lipstick on. The run on that lipstick the next day was absolutely incredible. She could have been a a lipstick spokesperson (laughs) or a lip model. Speaking of fantastic performances... (laughs) Well, well done. <laughs> well done. Segue. Uh, I very innocently went to a movie one day, mm. uh, Death Becomes Her, mm. and much to my surprise, playing some effeminate Euro trash was Ian Ogilvy. Typecasting. Yeah, typecast. <laughs> uh, it's not every actor who gets to work with Meryl Streep. No, uh, and when I did the audition, I went in there, and uh, uh, up on the wall were all these other actors who were also being considered. There was Michael Caine, there was Terrence Stamp, there was Open. And I said to the casting director, I don't know why I'm bothering to be here. Obviously, you're not going to employ me. You know? uh, but I made her laugh, I guess, and then she sent the tape to... Um, to Robert Zemeckis, I apparently made him laugh as well, and all of a sudden I was doing it. was a cameo, guys. It's a tiny little part, but you can call it a cameo. Yeah. Mm. Now, uh, is she, like, nice to work with? I know you, you wanted to ask her if you could touch her hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I mean, we're doing this scene, and uh, at one point I said, would you mind if, and she stopped me, and she said, Ian, this is your scene. It's not mine. I'm just reacting to you. You do whatever you damn well like. It's your scene, not mine. So I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, very professional of her. Mm. <laughs> but I have to say, every time she did her bit, she did it differently. Every take. Yeah. Completely different. And it was all brilliant, but it made... I just thought to myself, how does the editor Decide. put the scissors in here? Yeah. You know, which one are you going to pick? Because they're all brilliant, yeah. 
I did it exactly the same every time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd kind of run out of imagination by then. But I watched it all. <laughs> well, you got paid and it worked. Yeah. That's it. I'm still, do you know that film? It, it was a long time ago. I still get these little residual checks out of it, and I did really quite well out of it over well, there. Good. Years, yeah? Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It, I was uh, dating for a while uh, Judy Fay, who was the uh, trophy wife at one time of the comedian Joey Fay, who was famed for Slowly I Turn. Oh, that's Slowly yeah. I Turn. Yeah. Uh, inch by inch. We all love Slowly I Turn. <laughs> yeah, slowly I Turn. And you and went inch by inch. I went inch by inch. <laughs> Niagara Falls. <laughs> <laughs> it's very short. And, uh, I wonder uh, how many people actually listen to this know the Slowly I Turn. I turned. Uh, yeah. They watch the Three Stooges or Abbott yeah. Costello. Remember. You can look it up. You just type in Slowly I Turn. <laughs> And you'll see some great stuff on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in any event, uh, Joey would get his residual checks because he was 40 years older than her, and he had passed away by the time I was filling in for him. Mm. And uh, <laughs> a special guest appearance. And uh, these checks would come for like, uh, 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 whatever. 30 cents, Pearl. Yeah, 30 cents, yeah. 25 cents. I got one for $9.50 from Pennzoil for a commercial I did in the 1970s mm. came in the mail. You know, you get I, got, yeah. I got one from Lionsgate. For what? One of the shows that stay out of their stuff. (laughs) Stay out of here. (laughs) Was sold to some middle European country, and I got an actual residual check for four cents. Yeah. And I decided it was going to be framed because mm. it's worth a lot more than the stamp. <laughs> yeah. Someone I know got a, a bill that says, if you don't pay this, you're being turned over for collection for zero dollars and zero cents. Mm. So they wrote him a check for zero dollars and zero cents and cleared it right up. But apparently, you know, if you don't cash those things, it screws up the studio's accounting <laughs> no system. Good. Which is oh. exactly why you, know, you shouldn't really uh, cash them. <laughs> now, unfortunately, you're not getting checks for Return of the Saints. No, I'm not. No, n- n- nothing. I not the not. DVD sales? No, that? last time I got paid for that was in the summer of 1978. Cool. Yeah. Could... yeah, I know. People see this and they go, you know, no, nothing. That was, the, that was the deal at the time, and a lousy deal it was. Yeah, you talked to your agent. You have one then? <laughs> well, it was, the, it was the agreement at the time. It wasn't really my agent. It was what, what they the offered, Film Producers huh? Association agreed with British Equity, which is always a bit slightly pathetic union, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. So, um, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't... So it was like a... You're paid off, kind of like if I do a wild spot or whatever yeah. it is, it's just that's it. Buy yeah. out. Yeah, buy out. Bam. Yeah. So the fact they didn't know it was going to become a cult classic, they'd be selling DVDs in the 2000s and the. DVDs weren't even invented yet. Yeah. I don't even know they had VHS at the time. You know? No, Well, yeah, yeah. They, they, yes, they did. Because I would record it off yeah, my TV. Were probably in beta <laughs> in those days. But that's why people like. Uh, uh, who's it? The, the American cowboy actor. John Wayne. No, 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 no. The one that Ricky John Ricardo. Ricardo. <laughs> Let's go with the Richard Ricardo. The one that. Uh, the one that. <laughs> the one that, <laughs> the, one that owned, <laughs> the one that owned Channel Five. Oh, Gene Autry. Gene Autry. Gene Autry. When he was doing his original contract with the film studios, he included in there the ability to buy back the master prints of the films after mm. they had gone out, and they were like, going, "Well, what do you want to pay for them?" And he just mentioned a price, and they went, "Sure," because this to them <laughs> was stuff that was sitting yeah. in, on a in shelf somewhere. Dust. Yeah. Well, that got turned into running movies on Saturday, and then it became uh, him buying out Channel 5, yeah. and then him buying out another studio, and him buying out all the films that he had and all the TV shows that he had. Then that turned into 
VHS cassettes, mm. and that turned into DVDs. And that turned into a buying a baseball team. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that all makes sense to me. Yes. William Boyd was the first guy to figure out licensing. Yeah. Required to got the character Hopalong Cassidy. Boy, did that make him a fortune. That was when I was a little boy. That was the first T-shirt I had, because T-shirts, we didn't have T-shirts in England. So a, an American godfather or something sent me a T-shirt. It was bright yellow. It had Hopalong Cassidy on And I wore that to shreds. To shreds, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had, your family was an advertiser. Yeah. So that was probably one of the shows that they advertised on because in that day and that's period of time, you're, that's how it was done. I bet you're right. That's why Captain, uh, what's his name, Captain Midnight yeah. was known as Jet Jackson in the uh, reruns because it was owned by Ovaltine. Uh-huh. And if it didn't have Ovaltine commercials in it, they couldn't call it Captain Midnight. <laughs> It's a tragic story. God, the stuff you know. I know it's useless. <laughs> He's just as successful yeah, so, far, so far, this 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 show has got more useless information. Yeah, I know. And we have a guest here. <laughs> Epitomizes it. I like this. It's good. It's good. Mark C.G. Boyer, hiding in the corner, has a question. Use the microphone this yeah, week. Um, George Lucas uh, ran out of money for Star Wars. Who? George Lucas. Ran out of money. Using the microphone would he help. Ran out us. of mo- he ran out of money. Went back to the studios. The studio says, "Get the hell out of here." He said, "If you if you give me merchandising, you can have my salary back." Oh. So he didn't get paid to direct the movie, but he got merchandise. Well, you get merch, you, you get the world. No, <laughs> you got to have the merch and the licensing. That's why no question. And you know sharks the, aren't fish. You know what the merch was worth on last night's opening of the Olympics? I mean, seriously, no. crazy money, crazy money. Billions? Yeah, crazy money. It's amazing stuff. Every every country had uh, had uh, different colors and different suits, and all of them are marketed. It's a it's a big business. That's why they hold the Olympics every year to sell merch. <laughs> <laughs> the the athletes are an afterthought. Mm. By the way, that's become that one. Yeah, well, of course. The athletes make no money. The merch makes all the money. <laughs> well, that's because the merchants are professionals. And they pay the athletes. <laughs> you can't pay the athletes for that. <laughs> You can try. Not directly. Pay them in steroids. <laughs> right. So the obvious question after your comment before is, where do you prefer working? You're living here, so I guess it's here. Uh, I, yes. I, <laughs> that's a good question, right? Uh, you get to a certain age in this business, unless you're Christopher Plummer or Anthony Hopkins, you actually stop working. I have stopped working. I, not from any choice. I just There's just not any roles anymore. So which is why I've kind of reinvented myself as a writer, because I think we all have to, in a way, as we get older... The, the original employment that gave us our livings just frankly often isn't there anymore. So you have to think of something else to do. And uh, I've been very lucky. You know, I've been able to to translate it into books and things like that and plays. And, but I do case occasionally. I, anybody wants me to act, I'll say, sure, I'm here. Yeah. But now, mainly, I go back to the UK and do stuff over there. I live here, but I'm, I mainly work there. Yeah, when you did the... Um I almost said the return of the saint, but I don't mean the return of the saint, I mean the return of the saint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the latest film. Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, where you play the bad guy. Yeah. Instead of playing the famous Simon Templar, yeah. you play some crackpot. <laughs> yeah. There is <laughs> the, the scene bad. that cracked villains, me up. Villains usually get more work. Yes, I know, I know. I was an afterthought, remember, on this thing. Yeah, go, go on, bro. Uh... I mean, the the Simon Templar character has a beard at the beginning of the film and yeah. a beard at the end of the film because he couldn't shave because he was doing The Tyrant, That's right. which I love that show, by the way. Uh, so 
The excuse for why he has a beard at the end of the film is summed up in one line when he gets you and he says, it took me longer to catch you than I thought. <laughs> and when they arrest you, I don't know if this was on purpose, part of your acting technique or there's something going on, you stop and you turn and you look and you laugh. Yes. And I, and that cracked me up. What was going on there? Well, uh, it, was, it, was the, it was elements of the old saint, you know, mm. who would always laugh. In the old, you could use the word gaily a few years ago, and I, but he would laugh gaily mm. at, 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 at awful things that were happening to him. That's kind of, I think, what I was going for, really. Well, it worked. I mean, it was a very puzzling role, this, because I, 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 my, uh, Nicolette Sheridan, you know who Nicolette is? She called me up about, she said, I'm having, I just had lunch with this guy, and he's producing a, a new pilot of The Saint. And she said to him, do you have to put Ian Ogilvy in it? And he said, "He's he, does he live here? And she is he said, alive? Yeah. <laughs> so the next day I find myself shoehorned into this script where I have a little tiny part. I mean, like, like three lines. And um, the director kept saying to me, you're being too charming. And I said, I don't even know who I fucking am. You know, <laughs> am, I, am I a villain? He said, no, no, you're a villain. Oh, I said, okay, fine, I'm a villain. So we did that. And then about a year later, I got another call from my agent. And they said, they're going to reshoot a whole lot of new scenes. And they want to build your part up into being an actual proper villain. So they flew me to Romania, of all places, put me in uh, Ceausescu's villa mm. in his office. That where you see that is actually Nikolai Ceausescu's, one of his many offices, mm -hmm. which is preserved. And I was there for like a week in Romania, all by myself, being, <laughs> being villainous. So I guess, I guess at the end of it, when I was turned and laughed at the camera, I was so fat, fed up with being villainous, I thought I'd try to be heroic for it. And it really was a very puzzling role. It was, I yeah. have no idea what I was doing in it. I don't think anybody knew, really. No, not for sure. Uh, I had volunteered. Well, they were going through the process of taking it from a 42 minutes or whatever to yeah. an hour and a half. I raised my hand and said, well, you know, if you need some help. Yeah. Uh, they know we don't want your help. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just a very boring story I told, isn't it? It just went on and on and on. No, I enjoyed it. I only try not to do that. The really Ceausescu office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk like, about opulent for no reason. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Were you ill then? Did you get ill? No, I was good there. Oh, is that I'm not always ill. Oh, you're not always ill. <laughs> There's this thing with age. Yes, I know, yeah. Yes, yeah. They can't tell on the radio, but Thanks, you and bro. I are blessed with looking much younger than we are. We are, uh, <laughs> that's very true. Well, I don't know about you. <laughs> What's that, uh, Buck C.G. Boyer? Turn his microphone either on or off. There we go. <laughs> what were you saying, Mark? Anything of importance? you don't look a day over 80. <laughs> well, that, that was very nice of you, Mark. You're welcome. No, no, no. We'd like to bring guests in and do the uh, older than 80 joke. Mm. That's correct. Speaking of Anthony Hopkins, as you were a moment ago, I was watching Casablanca last night. Mm. And there he shows up at a scene slapping somebody, which uh, he was in a military uniform. In Casablanca? Yes, I believe that's him in Casablanca. Either that or a lookalike. Anthony Hopkins. Very young. No, like yeah. completely impossible. <laughs> he was never young. No, no. I remember him and Anne Margaret in the woman with the ventriloquist dummy. Both of them were always the same age. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it was Anthony Hopkins or Anne Margaret, they always always the same, same age. Same. Yeah. And Sophia Loren. That too. Did you ever work with Sophia Loren? No, 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 no. Tragic story. A friend of mine did. And his buddies were mad at him because they're all mafia guys. And he beat up Sophie Loren in the movie, and they were so pissed at him. How could you lay a hand on her? I mean, they just couldn't tell the difference between what was real and what wasn't real. <laughs> kind of like George Raft. Remember George yes, Raft? Yes, I remember George Raft. He yeah. never saw himself on film. He would never watch any of his own movies or even the clips of the dailies or the rush. Right. I happen to think that that's probably crap. 
You don't think that's true? No. I think he was on the Tonight Show and he went to run a clip and he turned his head away. Well, I have to say, the older you get, and you look at the stuff you do when you were young, it's really uh, pretty horrific to see. Yeah. I'm not, I don't mind stuff I shot yesterday, but <laughs> to look at stuff when I was like 30. But you're oh. going to look at stuff that you shot yesterday to help tomorrow. No, no. not even a little bit. No, but, but, but it's quite amusing to see how awful you look these days. And, you know. Tell us about the, uh, the, the two films back-to-back that we still mm. blank, we still this. Is there going to be a third one? I hope so. It's been promised, <laughs> yeah. The only thing about it is these titles have a slightly sort of diminishing return. The first one, We Still Kill the Old Way. The second one, supposedly, We Still Steal the Old Way. It was kind of a little bit less, isn't yeah. it? The third one is we, we Still Die still the, the Old, old Way. way. Yeah. <laughs> I said, as long as we don't do one, we, we still fuck the old way. I'm allowed to say that. Hey, <laughs> that might be a good one. Yeah. I said, we're all too old for that. Come on, that's, that would be disgusting. <laughs> but uh, I, they're a lot of fun. Listen, the budgets for these things are is less than £300,000 each which is really? absolutely tiny. And when I tell you that to fly me over to England is actually twice what they pay me as a salary, you can see that this is a thing I do for fun, not to make a living. Yeah. But they're a lot of fun. I like them. I mean, and it's, listen, I've never played an old uh, gangster before, English gangster, retired gangster on the Costa del Sol in Spain. I've never played that. So it's a bit of a, um, a breakthrough for me, you know? Well, it looked like you guys were all having fun. Yeah. I could tell the budget was a little low on the first low. one. Yeah. Very low. Yeah. Yeah. Very low. <laughs> but they're shooting it on the handy cams and the pretty much on their iPhones, as far as I know. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's uh, they have that nice cameras and they have terrific directors and things. And he manages to get a good group of people together. You know? oh, yeah, it's just that we have to put up with the fact that he's only going to pay us enough to buy a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Mm. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that story isn't worth it. I'll just piss somebody off. So right, I won't right. tell. I, I probably pissed him off now if he's listening. <laughs> but the director was very good on this. Is it the same director on the first one as on the second one? Yes. Ah. But not the third. Not the third? No, no. No. For some reason. I don't know why. Probably because yeah. he, well, he wanted more money. Yeah, it's probably. <laughs> well, that's why I caught James, lovely James Cosmo, who was in the first one. He's from Game of Thrones. You see him in every movie ever. Yeah. He said no to the second one because they wouldn't give him any more money. I yeah. said, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I just I want to work. Just, just give like some. Michael Caine. I'll, I'll be yeah, in Jaws 14. Exactly. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Did Have he do Jaws 14? No, he did <laughs> Jaws 4. Jaws no, that was somebody else. <laughs> oh, look who's here. Yeah, thank you, Mark. No mic. No microphone. It's a blessing. Something. <laughs> uh, I knew there was something brilliant. I was going, oh, Vincent Price. You work mm. with Vincent Price? Yep. How yep. was that? Interesting, because Vincent uh, was very unhappy, because right at the very beginning of the movie, he was told by some idiot that the original person the, the, the director wanted was Donald Pleasance. So Vincent was not a happy man. Also, he was in the wilds of Norfolk in windy East Coast England. He didn't understand why this young director kept telling him to stop rolling his eyes. And, <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was very miserable all the way through it. And then he wrote a wonderful letter when he got back to the States and he saw the cut version of this movie. He wrote a lovely letter to the director saying, you were wrong, I was right. You know, it's one of the best <laughs> things I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he, at one point, you know, he and the director were having this huge row and Michael was like 23 at the time. And the story has it that Vincent reared to his up to his full six foot three and he said young man I have made over 50 films in Hollywood how many have you made and Mike said two good ones <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer yeah but it didn't it didn't endear him very much <laughs> 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 that's a good answer 
We could, we're so glad we can't hear what you're saying. Well, what was the name of this movie? The, mo the name of the movie was Witchfinder General, and it was a, a period piece about a genuine, a real mad guy who operated during Oliver Cromwell's time during our Civil War in the 1600s, and that's what he did. He went around the country finding witches and being paid. Oh, the Conqueror Worm was another name for that. Yes. The Something. Conqueror Worm, that's a great The Conqueror title. Worm. Yeah, that's The Conqueror Worm, yes. Well, the, the Americans called it the American title, and it really has nothing to do with the movie at all. No. The reason being is that Vincent had a um, contract with American International Pictures, and they were doing a string of Edgar Allan Poe movies. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to shoehorn this into the Edgar Allan Poe series. So <laughs> take a title, any yeah, title. Take a title out of <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe poem. And I think the line is, and death is the conqueror worm. So, oh, the conqueror worm, that will do. You know. yeah, in America, they probably imagined a giant conquering yeah. worm. And then they put a great big skull with worms coming out of its head. Again, nothing to do with the movie. You know. the, uh, I, the actual person was fascinating, uh, Matthew Hopkins. Okay? Yes, that's right. He was, isn't he? He, uh, he invented techniques of identifying witches. Yeah. She weighs more than a duck? Uh, no, uh, one of them, he invented a retractable blade into a knife handle. Yeah. So that when you stabbed the person, the blade would retract, but there would be uh, no injury. And right. that would prove you're a witch. Oh, he was a real son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. uh, say, what else? Say he, uh, um, uh, he invented burning of the witches because they uh, had tried to kill this one woman and she had figured out how to survive his tortures. And so that he ran out of options. <laughs> are, 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 you, are you doing a thesis? <laughs> I uh, found that film fascinating, okay. and I did research. See what you did? You damaged this young man's brain. Did, <laughs> it's all your really fault. Meanwhile, I was watching, uh, probably Burrow was on the same station. I, I caught Laura last night. Yeah. And Vincent Price is in that. And watching Vincent Price acting across Clifton Webb, it was like two old Hollywood queens. Yes, yes. Not since Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and two people <laughs> in on screen been like that. Yeah, but yeah, but you got to remember, Vincent played the saint. That's right, that he did. True. He did it on the radio. I can't imagine what that must have sounded. Has anybody got? No, a, has yes. anybody ever heard a recording? Yes, of I have them. How I does he a, sound? He sounds like Vincent like Price. Vincent Price, yeah. He sounds yeah, like Vincent yeah. Price. Uh, but he always had that kind of that. Uh, sophisticated, uh, mocking sort of, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, and all the shows pretty much started the same way. He's enjoying some sumptuous dinner in a mm. fancy restaurant, mm. and someone says, oh, you're the saint, you must come save me. And he goes, well, let me finish my dessert first, or whatever. <laughs> and he goes off. Some of them make no sense whatsoever. Right. But uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, who was it that got drunk? Uh, I think it was Tom Conway, mm. who was uh, George Saunders' brother played the Falcon, played the Saint on the radio after mm -hmm. Vincent Price, and uh, he had an alcohol problem, and he got so sloshed that the guy who played the taxi driver doubled as the part of the Saint <laughs> to, to fill, wow. in, yeah. fill in for him. That's what people forget, that before Roger Moore did it, there were an awful lot of them, including South American ones and South African ones. Yeah. yeah. And Irish. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah, Brian Ahern. I there are no Irish saints, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Declan. <laughs> you also worked with uh, Boris Karloff. Yes. Yes. He was, he, was, uh, he was a very nice old man. And um, what was rather charming about Boris is you couldn't insure Boris anymore. He was too old to insure. So um, his film producers were reluctant to use him. So he made a rule that his whatever his the role was, whether it was the leading role or if he had two lines, he would get eleven thousand pounds. What was that like fifteen thousand yeah. dollars? And he would do about six of these a year back then. So he was always employed, you know. 
Mm-hmm. He was a very modest man, you know, he was a very sweetheart. I once said to him, Did, what about typecasting? You know, I mean, with you and the monster, what happened? How do you feel about that? He said, I don't believe there is such a thing as typecasting. He said, you, can, you could argue you're typecast the day you're born. We all are typecast. He said the happiest day of his life was when he, he played the monster because before that, nobody really knew what to do with him. Mm-hmm. He was playing North American Indians, he was playing mm-hmm. mafia gangsters, and he didn't look right in any of them. And then all of a sudden, he got the monster, and that, that settled his fate. But he was very happy about it. I don't know why this popped into my head. I was watching one of the uh, the old uh, Roger Moore Saint episodes, and they would uh, they would use Hindustanis to play Mexicans. Yes, <laughs> I just yeah. found absolutely fascinating. Well, they weren't, we don't have too many Mexicans in London. So they use Hindustanis. Oh goodness gracious! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very peculiar. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, the, the difference between uh, your Saint productions and the ones that uh, Roger Morris, I think he was started in the center of heat, is the production values were so much higher yeah. on your show. The budget's supposed to have been dandy. I was told by the producer, he was probably lying, but I was told by him that it was the most expensive TV series ever made at that point. Because we went abroad and the production manager said to me, you know, 75% of our budget is going on hotels and transportation. Easily. You know, and um, uh, I not thought it was all that necessary, really. But... Uh, uh, everyone's favorite episode, probably including yours, is Duel in Venice. Yes. Because this great chick you worked with, woman right. actress, female, I don't know who she was, but boy, was yeah. there was something about her mm. that was so endearing. She was very, very good, wasn't she? She was yeah. really out of the mill, and I, I saw her, I thought, oh, you know, you, you, you're just wonderful. You're going to make this show much the best show. <laughs> she did it, nobody she else. She did, yeah. 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 There's something about her, and the yeah. chemistry between you yeah. two on screen was great. I have no idea what her name is. I can't Neither remember. do I. No. But uh, she was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. And I, every time I, uh, when the, the topic comes up, everyone says, Duel in Venice. That's mm, the episode. Mm, mm. Would, it, would it be unfair to ask you, of all the people that you've worked with, and you've worked with many major names, who the best, the favorite that you work with or found the most professional? Yes. Who would that be? Yes, it would be unfair. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, so laughs> no. Let me think. Uh, uh, oh, God. How difficult that is. Um, sometimes, you know, you don't have much to do with them. You, know, you do a little scene. I mean, I thought Meryl Streep was great, but I can't really say I got to know the woman at all. Um, Boris was lovely. Um, James Mason was tricky. Um, tricky in what way? Um, he was distant, you know? And he would suddenly <laughs> announce something. And, and He was a remarkable man. He... Um, he had a trailer on the set, you know, when we were inside the studio, inside the stage, sound stage, he'd have a trailer inside it. But he wouldn't leave the trailer until he heard the, of the, of the clapperboard. Because yeah. he knew, he said, I've spent too much time. Okay, we're ready, you come out. And then they relight the entire show and you're standing. He said, no, I come out when the film is running. <laughs> Smart. I, only he could pull a thing like that. Uh, Oliver Reed. Yes. I never worked with him, but uh, I just nearly had a fight with him, that's all. Yeah, that's the one, that's the story I want. Yeah. <laughs> You want to hear the story? Yeah, I want to hear the story. We were in the south of France filming the same. Gail Honeycutt, the director, and um, the great Leslie Chartres, the creator of the Saint, who was then in his late 70s, early 80s, I think. We were in the uh, Val d'Or, the beautiful Riviera Hotel. And Gail Honeycutt said to me, Ian, would you go on the balcony, look out into the harbour, and see if you can see a Chinese junk? I went, this is a strange idea that there might be a Chinese junk. So I said, okay. And there indeed was a Chinese junk. I mixed all these white plastic shots. There was this Chinese junk. So I said, yes. And she, her face fell. And she said, oh, Christ, he's here. And a second later, he was, because this bar suddenly erupted, because in came a, uh, this sort of s- sphere 
dressed in a striped rugby shirt. <laughs> and I, we heard, honey cunt, darling, how are you? And there was a very, very drunk Oliver Reed who came staggering over. Our producer um, started introducing. This is you know, Gail, and of course you know um, it's an art director, and this is uh, great Leslie Charteris, and this is Ian Ogilvy, our saint. And Oliver Reed looked at me, he said, you, the saint, you're a puff. <laughs> you're a fucking puff. <laughs> so, I, now, I'm not a fighting man. I mean, I really am not. I just don't, I've never, but I thought, I've got the producer. I've got the director. I've got my leading lady. I've got the creator of the scene. If I don't do something here, I, you know, <laughs> I would, I'd rather end up in hospital than not do something here. <laughs> so I got up and I said, all right, Reed, you and me, I'm sorry. <laughs> And I thought, what am I going to do now? I don't know. <laughs> so we go out, and all of a sudden, he, 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 he grabs me in a kind of headlock. This is still in the bar of this hotel. So we yeah. he lets me out of there. And then we do a lot of shadow boxing, waving uh -huh. our fists at each other. I'm thinking, as long as he keeps doing that, I think I'm going to be OK. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he just dropped. He said, all right, you're not a puff. OK, come and have a drink. <laughs> Boy, you played that one well. Yeah, I did. So we go back to the bar, and all of a sudden, he suddenly realizes who he's been introduced to. He's been introduced to Leslie Charteris, who created the same. So he runs to the bar, and he reaches over, and he gets a little tiny, you know those little knives that you kind of s s scrape lemons with, you mm -hmm, know, little yeah. serrated knives. He comes running back. He seizes Leslie Charteris his arm, pu pushes his sleeve up and says, we're going to be blood brothers. And he start, he's going to cut <laughs> Leslie Charteris' arm. Uh, at which point, I'm not sure what happened, but I think people sort of said, no, Roger, don't, don't Roger. <laughs> uh, there's a Freudian slip. <laughs> and, uh, and it all stopped. But I mean, I think the captain of his junk, who was a big German guy, came in and just pull, pulled him away. Him <laughs> but it was a very frightening moment. Poor old, poor old Leslie Charteris. He thought he could have his wrist cut open. <laughs> the first time I met Leslie Charteris in, uh, right after my book on the history of the St. Mm. I flew over there to Action 93, so that must have been 1993, well. and uh, bought me lunch in Surrey. And the first thing he says to me, and he just had a, a stroke, so his voice was very soft, and I'm half deaf anyways. So he had to pull me over and speak into my ear directly. First thing he says is, how can Bill McDonald concentrate on my same movie with Sharon Stone in his bed? <laughs> <laughs> very hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very hard. In, in, in both ways. And then he would go to the set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was Carol a Andre. Carol Andre, well done. Who did that? You, did. you Carol Andre. Great, terrific girl, yeah. It's called IMDb. It's very easy. Yeah. Oh, you went on IMDb yeah. and looked yeah. up who she was? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you are so Andre. tricky. Yeah. Yeah, what, what else has she done? Find that's your assignment. She's done, I think she's done a lot, but she's just not known at all, you know? I don't know. Maybe she came up a failure. So many people do. Yeah. Well, there was one actress who had a lot of freckles, and that was her character's name in a Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis movie. Mm. She was the love interest for Jerry Lewis. And then whatever happened to her? I saw her in this one film. So I looked up on IMDb. She married some big Hollywood hotshot producer, and when he died, she immediately married another mm. big Hollywood hotshot producer. Yeah. She must have had a great talent yeah. somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the talent I was blessed with. <laughs> it doesn't do me any good. <laughs> it's a tragic story. You, 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 you want to marry? A, I, I want to marry a big Hollywood producer yeah. at my age. It's the only option I got left. Harvey Weinstein's available. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, thanks. Yeah. Uh, you go talk to Harvey. Do you know Harvey? Anybody in the room know Harvey? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and so was he on, nice to you? To was he nice to me? No. 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 Did you enjoy the harassment? No. 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 Is he nice to anybody? No. I guess, no. No. So I, I mean, now so, he is. So I don't take yeah. this. Way. He's not nice to anybody right now. Yeah, you and Suge Knight got along great too. I got along with Suge. It's such hard work being nasty, isn't it? I don't understand oh, yeah, that, that nasty actors and nasty directors. I mean, it's very, very, very hard work. It's so much easier just to smile. At uh, yeah, it always occurred to me that some of the actors I met who were a holes. Uh, could play nice people yeah. in, uh, in a movie. I think, well, if they know how to pretend they're nice mm. on camera, couldn't they pretend they're nice in person? Uh, sure. <laughs> I'll tell you who, I, who the nicest person I've ever worked with is Angela Lansbury. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet. I did about five, five Murder, She Wrote's. And what she was, you know, you never did an audition for Murder, She Wrote. Everything was done on word of mouth. And she would get you, and if she liked you, your name would go down. And every single year, your agent would call up and say, you want to do a Murder, She Wrote? And you, at the time, then you didn't care how big the part was because it was just such a pleasure to work with. She was the nicest woman, and she really looked out. She used to drag, you know, retired movie stars out of, you know, then say, oh, come on, come and do one. And it was lovely, yeah. Her brother, who was the head of Paramount at one point, Bruce Lansbury, mm. you can still see his name, you know, on, on all of these uh, Antenna TV and Me TV, yeah. all the Paramount shows from the day. He used to channel people over to her. Yes. But Corey Moore Productions, and the only reason why I know Corey Moore Productions was who did uh, Murder, She Wrote. My car did an appearance. Oh, really? Yes, I have a 1978 <laughs> MGB, well. yeah. and I drove it into the lot once, and the vehicle coordinator for the show came over to me and said, can we use your car in an episode of Murder, She Wrote? Does it get checks in the mail? And I said, no, it doesn't, but I did. It's doing better than Frank. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and I had, so the next two days later, I bring the car that they can't, I can't drive it on the lot. I have to wait outside the lot mm. so that they can put it on a flatbed to bring it inside, mm. which I thought was completely ridiculous. I get the car back. All it did was get rained on, but they did a full wax job and a full detail mm. when I got it mm. back and filled the tank up with gas and handed me a check for $457. Hey. And I went... Thank you. Know, you. That's probably the only MG that made money this year. <laughs> <laughs> you also did uh, several episodes of, uh, what was it, Diagnosis yes, of course. my nephew. You were your nephew, who's, yeah. who's a great friend nowadays, yeah. yes. Those were fun, too. And again, they were operated on the same principle. You didn't do an audition for, for, for Dick Van Dyke shows. You just uh, you just got it because they, they knew about you. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. Yeah, he had a lot yeah. of fun doing them. Yeah. You know your damn nephew, you know, he produced these things and he wrote them as well. And he had been a bit of a fan of the Saint show, mm -hmm. and he knew who I was, which is rare in this time. And, <laughs> and uh, no, really. And uh, he used to get me in, but he always made me play an American. And it was his personal joke, because I'm not good at it. <laughs> and, he, and I'd say, can I not? Because Angela Lansbury would always let me play Euro trash or English or something. No, you have to play American. And I just think it was his uh, sort of permanent yearly practical joke on the before. <laughs> yeah. That's because English actors could usually do American accents. I know. I'm not good at it. No. And I believe, I've been, I'm an American citizen. I've been here since 1989. You know. I can't do it. Uh, no. Because all my English friends in England think I speak with a broad American accent. Really? I, yes, because I, I say things like can't and chant and things like that. But that's, that's the extent of it, you know. To you guys, right. I suspect I sound very English, don't I? Well, yeah, yes. well, you're yeah. more convincing with the British accent than Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> or Keanu Reeves. Yeah. But listen, so many American actors do the most incredible English accents, don't they? Mm. Oh, yeah. Look at Bridget, Bridget um, Jones, um, Rennie F oh, Zellweger. Yeah. She's not just playing a Brit. She's playing a very specific kind of Brit. And it's completely brilliant. Mm. You may not like the performance, but the accent's perfect.
It's amazing. Mm. You know, they have these guys, these uh, Henry Higgins types that mm. can pinpoint where you're you're from. Mm. They, I drive them crazy. No. Oh. Because they can't work it out. They can't figure it out. Yeah. And I've had them stop me in elevators and demand to know where. <laughs> what the hell is. See, I don't. In America, it doesn't sound like I have an accent to anybody. No. But if I leave the country. Mm. To anybody? Yeah, to go anywhere. <laughs> I was in Peru, someone on a train going, Where the hell are you from? So, <laughs> the an, and the answer is Walla Walla Washington. Uh, well, I, the answer is My mother's from England, my father's from Russia, I grew up in eastern Washington, and I had broadcast training. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you're done. So, what British protectorate are you from? I said, My mother. <laughs> it's the strange thing about accents. Well, I, said, I watched the TV show Hercules. Mm. And Hercules has a California accent. Mm. <laughs> sure. That makes sense. I think, makes, uh, yeah. I mean, what, you, a Greek accent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, that's painful. A lot of people think because they always give them English accents because it's classical, you know. Mm. It's no more realistic to have an English accent than just to have a Bronx accent. It's like all the uh, World War II movies where all the Germans have English accents. Yeah. I'm hearing music. We're we taking a 60-second break so our local stations can identify themselves. Right back on True Crime Uncensored. Masterpiece, of course, is uh, what is it? Oh, Betrayal in Blue, the true story of the cops and the NYPD who made 13000 a year being cops and 8000 a week providing protection for the Dominican drug cartel. It's a true story of entrepreneurship in the NYPD, co-written with Frank C. Gerardo Jr. and the number two most corrupt cop in the NYPD history, Ken Urell, the charming gentleman now, and his neighbors were shocked to find out that he used to be a cocaine-dealing police officer. And now, back to our show. Back to True Crime Uncensored. I've heard of it. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. What about the guy with no microphone? Featuring Mark C.G. <laughs> Boyer. I'm over in that corner. <laughs> yeah, we got Frank Hagen also and uh, Ian Ogilvie, famous actor and uh, author. You mentioned on Facebook, where we're, we're friends on Facebook, mm. that uh, you just finished up a new novel. Yes. How many have you written? How many have you sold? 
Okay. Um, <laughs> Six I've and twelve. I've written. I've written twelve, uh, and I've sold uh, nine. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? No. I've had a rejection on three, which isn't bad, but it hurts each time. So this new one, I've just sent off to my agent in the UK. Cause I, because I send them to the UK, it's generally because I'm not known here at all. But when you said famous actor, I wish you wouldn't say that. Okay, send my famous actor. Saying, who, the, who the hell is this famous <laughs> actor? We're all supposed to know. Anyway, but I'm much better known over there. So in a way, I can... I can you know, Trade off of yeah, that a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Mm. I don't have that uh, ability. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Being a famous actor, it doesn't work that well. The other thing about it is, although I've lived here for a very long time, I, st I find it very hard to write an American book. Really? I'm still writing English books, yeah. yeah. Now, these kids' books are doing real well. Even uh, Matt's brother Marty buys your books for his kids. Oh, lovely. Well, well I, he, yes, I, he's going to get them on Amazon now because they're out of print now, would you Man. believe? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not yeah. good. It isn't, but I had a great run with them. You know, I sold in like 30 countries around the world. I had two film options. They never made the movie, but the options are very nice. You know, no. Money keeps coming. I lived on option money for a long, yeah, long yeah, you time. Go, yeah. you know. There are people in this town, Ian, who have yeah, lived off of option I'm money for forever. <laughs> so I can't complain. I did really well out of the children's books, yeah. But this one is not a children's book. This one is an adult, as a grown-up book. I can't say adult book because it sounds like I'm. Loose Chippings was the first one I read. Yeah, yeah it was, that was an adult, a grown-up book. Yeah. And then there was Polkadot and Giant, which is another one. Then there were the five measles books, and then there were a couple of rejects, and then you know. I know being an author. You know, my high school years prepared me for being an author with all the rejection. Yeah. 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 You just have to put up with it, and you have to put down, okay, I, so I, I spent the last nine months writing something which nobody wants, but I had some good experiences out of it, you know, mm. and you have to, I think, look at it that way. I don't spend that much time writing things that no one wants. But I don't think you, <laughs> yes, I don't think you do, and I think most of your, I mean, all your stuff is almost written to commission, isn't it? I mean, you've sold it before you've even started writing a page, haven't you? Some of it, yeah, yeah but uh, yeah. I did a private eye novel, right. which got, I mean, these things are so strange in that industry. It got internationally great reviews, and no one bought it. Yeah. <laughs> and I go. can't figure out the, yeah. the correlation there. And then uh, the first one I did, uh, true crime, a serious true crime book, was a New York Times bestseller, and I can't figure that out. Yeah. Because they haven't read the book yet, why are they buying it? And the reviews haven't come out yet, but they're buying it. That's wonderful, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Then years later, it came out as an e-book and sold great again. Yeah. So, money in the mail. Money in the mail. I'm yeah. just wondering, is the adventure of being a private eye or private detective out of and gone because you can find out anything you want about somebody quickly on the internet? <laughs> yeah, well, well, this 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 question wasn't how do I find a missing person? The question was, is it safe for me to come out of the house? Mm. A recluse asked that question and the answer is no. Right. <laughs> no it's, right. it's not safe to come out of the house. That settled that. And that was a two-page book. and <laughs> yeah. That's all there was to it. But uh, there is a publishing company mm. called uh, Five Star Techno that has great authors that are writing something that's outside their usual genre. So if you have a famous science fiction writer who writes a private eye novel mm. and their regular publisher won't take it because it's outside, they publish it. Yeah. yeah. So it's that's uh, a nice idea. Yes, I mean, listen, there are av other avenues, but you know, if the agent doesn't like it, you kind of go. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. yeah, I mean, I had an agent who loved one of my children's books, uh, and oh, we'll have no problem selling this. Not a publisher would touch it. You know? <laughs> so, Thanks a lot. Uh, so his opinion was one thing, but uh, you know, so who do you trust? You can't go around changing agents every time they don't like something you work. You, you write. Yeah, I had an agent said. Uh, uh, don't be too funny in this book. Don't oh. be too funny. So I wrote a book where everyone's in terrible psychic pain. Mm. But if you're in terrible psychic pain, how do you deal with it? Mm. 
with humor. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so, no, like, damn it, you did it again. <laughs> It's a tragic story. Uh, so now that you've written this, you've sent it off to your agent. Mm. Are you already starting that in your head, the next one you're going to do? No, uh, plots come very slowly to me. I wish I had reams of them. I don't. So oh. I've been thinking, I've got to think of another I see one. on Facebook an ad for a plot generator that you can buy. Yes, yeah. I'm not, I not think I'm going to trust a thing like that. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> they say there's only like 500 plots. That, uh, I plots every time I start to write one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ta-da, bump that little element of Yiddish humor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have a, Not one laugh on that. One laugh. Yeah. Not one. Not Someone one. in Cleveland. <laughs> Someone in Cleveland laughed at this. Some anti-Semite, probably. <laughs> England's famous for that. Yeah. What? Anti-Semitism. Is it? That's what they say. No. no. It used to be a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Back yeah, before back we were born. The, back before the Saint even. Well, when the Saints started in the 1920s, you had people like Bulldog Drummond, who mm. was quite clearly heavily anti-Semitic. Mm. And of course, he reflected a society that a lot of it was, you know, it was a, they were popular books, so you had to assume that that did exist then. Yeah, and uh, one of Charters' early books, he has one line that's a little anti Semitic, yeah. and he wrote, wrote a letter to a current publisher and said, Please let me change that line. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't know any better back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was an anti Semite. Just didn't think that he should advertise. No, it's just that he felt embarrassed by the fact he even had a one line in the book that. Uh, but where did the one line come from? Came from yeah. 1912, 1931, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but he must have. He must have had an underlying, wasn't he? Like everybody else at that time, yeah. sort of underlying thing. Yeah. yeah. It was well, those. Those Jews are starting all the yeah. wars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We made a lot of money off of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get a check every month from the International Zionist Conspiracy. Yeah. It's a heck of a deal. Have you ever been accused of being in a conspiracy? No. Listen, I'm one of those people who I just don't buy these conspiracy theories. I don't. 99% of them are just nonsense, I think, because they're, 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 the secret is too big for it not to get out. You know? Yeah. And I look at it, and my daughter suddenly went through a, a, a period when almost everything was a conspiracy theory, and I, I couldn't talk to her. I said, you, when, you, when you stop this nonsense, let, we'll, <laughs> let well, me let's, and we'll talk to you again. But right now, it's just silly, you know. I Did found you know, out, Dad? Uh, Did you know, Dad, you know, yeah. that the moon is actually not there at all? All that shit would go on. <laughs> <laughs> I found out, much to my surprise, that I'm part of an international conspiracy. Seriously, I, there's a website that actually says, and you, uh, Matt's included in this, and you as well, and Billy Diller even, that uh, I am part of, I mean, this is a big website, serious, and they're very serious, that I'm part of the uh, Saudi royal family, George W. Bush Nazi conspiracy. Wow. Can I borrow five bucks? <laughs> yeah, I don't have the five bucks. <laughs> but the Saudi, and I'm going, how the hell did they come up with this? So I'm studying this article, and they back up everything with... Bullshit. <laughs> and it's because you can connect anybody to anybody. Mm. It's that six degrees of separation. Oh, he quotes so-and-so, and she defended so-and-so who knew so-and-so. And this is like... So I wrote him a letter. I said, may I please have the person who wrote this article on my show mm. to explain to me how I'm in this international conspiracy up to, up to here? And so is Matt, and, and uh, that time Don Waldman was the co-host. And uh, they made a big deal out of Don Waldman being part of this conspiracy and Outlaw Radio. And I said, I want him on the show to explain this to us. 
Oh, no, he's too afraid. He's afraid that if he flies in to Encino, which is where we were before, that he'll never make it out alive. <laughs> <laughs> this guy actually bought his there's, own knife. There's no leaving Encino. No, no. no once you get there, it's all, it's all over. That happened to me. I got there in 93. I haven't left yet. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention what happened to you with the Ralphs. My favorite... The right. <laughs> no, yeah. My favorite conspiracy ever... If, was the accusation that Aleister Crowley mm. was the actual father of Barbara Bush. Really? What? Yes. <laughs> that is I a stretch, know. isn't it? And, no, no I, I bought into that one. I got news for you. I, I thought, oh, this is just way too out. Mm. It turns out his mother, her mother, was a follower and had spent a considerable amount of time with her and actually left her husband to carry on and, tra and travel around with Aleister Crowley. Wow. So maybe. And, and he was like the biggest Satanist. And, yeah. and I mean, at the, the, he found sex in everything. It's like, well, like, lucky like, for like him. going to a bar. But, uh, <laughs> but he was quite notorious. And it turns out her mother indeed had followed him around for a number of years. And it was just shortly before she was born. Wow. Ah. Oh. Well, Let's see. But I never followed around the Saudi royal family. No. <laughs> or George W. Bush. No. No, I wasn't into that. But it's a strange thing to find someone seriously thinking that you're part of a mm. international conspiracy. Is that a mere coincidence that Bear did such and such? I go, huh? <laughs> I think you should be very flattered, actually. I really do. I mean, people taking that much notice of you is terrific. Yeah, I think so. I wish, the, uh, unfortunately, it was a male uh, the time. No, 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 that's okay. You're allowed. I'm allowed? Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, I snuck your name, of course, into my novelization of the Saint movie. Oh, yes? Yeah. How have you done that? Well, the... the uh, do, I get, do I get paid? No, anything? you don't get a damn dime. Uh, 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 the, the one with Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah. But they had me do the... They, the Paramount hired me to, to novelize the screenplay. So all the names of the saints I changed. Uh. <laughs> so that, you know, there was uh, Saint Ian Dickerson, uh, you know, who brought peanut butter cups into France or something. And yeah. I was getting Hugh Sinclair, and I got your name in there. So I mean, just put, you know, names of the saints, you know, cool. Saint Ian Ogilvy. So <laughs> I got away with most of that stuff. few things they, uh, they didn't let me get away with. Right. In fact, the one that, that I thought I could get away with is that there's a scene uh, in the movie where they're showing uh, the uh, Emma character, whatever her name is, photographs of the saint in various locations. And, and they go, the saint in Hollywood. She goes, I don't see any resemblance at all. <laughs> they took that one out. <laughs> they cut that. You know, it's very, very unfortunate. You didn't get to keep the cars, did you? Or the no, clothes? no. No, they said they said oh, we'd let you borrow one, but you have to have the state the, the stick logo on the on the on the hood. And and I went, I'm not uh, driving that around. Don't be ridiculous. I saw no, I mean, I mean, really Volvo cool were incredible with yeah. Roger Moore. I mean, to this, well, no, he's yeah. dead now. But I mean, when he traveled, there would always be a Volvo waiting in the airport. For but Jaguar were very strange because they they were very snobbish. They didn't think they needed any advertising. We pointed out to them that. In America, if you had a, a deal like this, every car company in the States would be on their bended knees to have their car featured as the hero's car, never breaks down, always catches the bad guys, yeah. looks great, clean, polished, all this. It's an hour-long advertisement for your car, and it's free. Jaguar didn't see it like that. They were kind of old-school English amateurism. No, we don't need that sort of publicity. They said. It was quite extraordinary. And what year was this? 
1977. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't that during the era when they still had the wiring from... Uh, <laughs> the cars would the blow up. I suspect, yeah. Yeah. I suspect, I mean, every time, this, this was a, this was like a prototype, but in, in the south of France, in the air conditioning was on, every time you turned left, icy cold something would pour all over your feet, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the windshield wipers kept falling off. And yes. Mm. I had that trouble with my Volvo 1800. Oh, wow. The windshield, it was because it was vibrating at its own frequency, and they just fall off. Fall off. And the way you fix it, you drill a hole in it and put a screw in, change the frequency. And there you go. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I saw you on British TV on YouTube where they were you show up in the uh, white Jaguar and they're pushing the car. <laughs> oh, God, though, yes. There's this guy, this extraordinary man called Mike Smith, who loved the show so much and he wanted that car. And he put it, he was very rich. He was a car dealer and stuff. He put a private detective on it. And this detective found it in the northern Shetland Islands, well to the north coast of England, in a barn buried up to its ankles in mud. It was a rusting hulk, the original My Car. And he bought it and he'd done it up. And now he takes it to conventions and autograph things and all the rest of it. Yeah. And he said, oh, I'll bring it down for that too. I did a morning breakfast show on English television when my yeah. memoir, my biography came out. And, um,. <laughs> He arrived, and of course it stalled, and it would not start. So we, they had to put with me driving it. They had to push it in. It was kind of <laughs> yeah, I thought that was rather yeah, amusing. That was good. Yeah. We should mention the title of your biography, autobiography, yeah. uh, which is rather amusing. Once a saint was a fabulous picture. How did you choose that particular? I did. I wanted to call it a pee in the snow, P E A, because there's a story in it about the assistant director losing the pee out of his whistle up in the snows of Cortina, and I thought a pee in the snow. If I looked at, 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 a, at a stack of books in, 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 in a bookshop, I would buy a pee in the snow. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd buy once a saint, because, you know, it's, it's, it's blah, isn't it? I think it's a blah, but I got pushed into that by the marketing people. Ah, yeah. well, and how did you who chose the photo on the front? I, I found it, and I thought that might be again. Would I buy this book if I just had a nice black and white shot of me looking kind of nice? Again, if you, but that picture I think is fun, so I, I thought of that, and they they did agree. They thought that was a good picture. It is. Yeah. It does give the feeling that it's going to be an amusing book. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Okay. Yeah. Did you make it some money? No. No, it's no, <laughs> a no. tragic story. No, because, you you know, I knew very well that when I wrote this, I was seriously past my sell-by date. I mean, majorly so, you know. <laughs> you have to, be, you have to be over 50. Best if used by. Yeah, yeah. and I, I really am not, I'm not, you know. Um, so I knew only a few people would buy it. My devoted fans would buy it. And I thought on that basis that I wouldn't be able to sell it to a decent publisher. It would all go to one of those little tiny mm -hmm. specialist ones that only deal with, you know, biographies of billiards players and things like that. And I gave it to my agent, and he agreed with me, yes, I think that's what we'll go for. And he called me a week later, he said, I've got your little brown. He said, I can't understand why. <laughs> why? <laughs> well, how did yeah. they fall for this? Yeah. Well, I, you know, it was the most flattering thing because when I asked my editor at Little Brown why they had taken the book, he said, because it's a very good book. Oh. Which is the nicest thing anybody could say to you, you know? It's nothing to do with, uh, with uh, my fame. You have fame. You have much fame. The famous Ian Ogilvy. And I think this is the sound that tells us that we're all washed up in this industry. <laughs> It's the same sound. It's the same sound. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you, Ian Ogilvy, and he's going to stick around and be on Matt's show. So for those of you who listen to Matt's show, you got a reason to stick around. Well, you've already said it, but I was going to say, bro, what's next? Magic Matt Allen on the Demons of Decadence Live from the Light Up Lounge, right here on OutlawRadioLive.com.
Got a couple more seconds to hit the post. Oh, I could have, but I didn't want to show off. <laughs> Get your 